Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensible Plants podcast, the official podcast of IndefensiblePlants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show, and Happy New Year. I have a really short episode for you today, but it is a really cool episode nevertheless. This is one of the ones we dove back into the history of this podcast. This episode occurred in Costa Rica back in 2018, and it is the first time Melissa Diaz Morales appeared on the show. This time, she's talking about orchid pollination in one of the most bizarre ways you're ever going to hear, and that is by a deceitful pollination syndrome that involves mimicking aphids. This involves a tropical lady slipper called Phragmopedium longifolium, and its pollination mechanism is absolutely incredible, but I don't want to steal any of Melissa's thunder. Let's let her describe it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Melissa Diaz-Morales. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi. Enjoying yourself? Of course. Wonderful. <laughs> so how about you start off, tell us who you are and what it is you do. Well, I'm Melissa. I'm an orchidologist from Costa Rica. I work at Lancaster Botanical Garden mm. in Cartago Town. I mainly study pollination systems in orchids. Wonderful. Were you always interested in orchids or did this kind of come later in life? Oh, no, it comes later because, well, I started as a biologist and I was very interested in different groups. Mm -hmm. Then I started taking my botany classes and with that I eventually found the orchids and yeah. I just stick to them. Yeah. I think when it comes to pollination, orchids are sometimes elevated to cream of the crop, so to speak. Yeah, it's hard to make observations right in the canopy, especially because here in Costa Rica most of the orchids are epiphytes mm. and they well, they are very high in the in the canopy. So what I found the easiest way to study pollination is to create a natural environment for the plants. Oh. So you take them to kind of a small garden or something very close from the forest where they came from and you just wait to the pollinators to yeah. come and visit the flowers. So you have them in a very easy way to see make all the observations right. and and all the facilities that you need, uh, <laughs> your camera, somewhere to charge the battery of the camera mm. and everything. Yeah. That's wonderful. So obviously there are many, many, many orchid species out there. Do you focus on a certain group? Well, yeah. Here in Costa Rica, we have like 1,600 species Ooh. of orchids. <laughs> I made my, my research for my degree in uh, terrestrial orchids, Phragmopidium longifolium. Uh, terrestrials are not common here in the tropics, but I found a nice population and I started studying that. Mm -hmm. uh, not as my thesis project, but after some observations and everything, I decided to make that my thesis project. Oh, cool. So now that I finished that, I'm trying to focus on another group the pleurotalids, those oh, are wow. miniature orchids, so I have made several observations right now. So I'm trying to study each of those systems with more detail to see what's really happening, if it's a deceit or what what's going on right. there. One thing I am learning about, you know, just being down here this weekend mm -hmm. is that a lot of what we know or think we know about orchids are speculation or hypotheses mm -hmm. and, and desperately require the kinds of observations that you're making. Mm -hmm. But for those listening that don't know what Phragmopedium longifolium mm -hmm. is, uh, that's a lady slipper type orchid, right? With the pouch. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
So, what's going on with that orchid? Does it offer rewards, or is it deceitful? Is it what's what did you find? Well, I found that uh, the mechanism is a deceit. The flower apparently is deceiving the the pollinator, which is a surfeit fly. Hmm. And the surfeit fly uh, approached the flower, searching for a place to lay the eggs, since huh. the larva of the surfeit flies from aphids. Oh, wow. Uh, probably the flower is imitating by smell. Maybe there are also some vicious cues that uh, the fly is using to approach the flower and then, in fact, the, the surfeit fly is laying the eggs inside the flower. Really? So it's a strong deceit since the fly is, like, wasting those eggs because there is no way that they can find food in right. the flower. They're not living on They're the They're not living, yeah. So the fly, when, uh, when the fly approaches the flower, it falls inside the lip, that is this pouch, and there is no way that the fly can go outside the lip by the main entrance, the mm -hmm. big main entrance in the pouch. So it has to definitely go through the back of the lip and climb. In that part of the lip, specifically, there are some kind of trichomes, like little hairs, okay. that helps the fly to climb through to the column. The sleeper orchids have two pollen masses. Which um, is kind of different for orchids. It's kind of different for orchids. Most of the orchids have just one pollen mass, or pollinia, or pollinarium, and the fly have to reach some little holes that are <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the sides of, of the lip, where it joins with the column. So when the fly gets those tiny windows it exit there, but the the pollen masses get attached Perfect. to attached to the body. Yeah. So it's very structurally. Uh, it's it, it needs that specific action it's to achieve pollination. Exactly because I have saw like another surfeit fly visiting the the this species, but it was a different species of surfeit fly. A little bigger, just a little mm. bigger than the red pollinator, and it wasn't able to exit the flower. Wow. It uh, died inside the flower, no in fact. Way. Yeah. Wow. And the other way, if the insect is even smaller, uh, it will exit, but it won't get the huh. pollen masses attached to the body, so it's not an effective pollinator. Wow. So this is a very specific it's pollination syndrome. Very specific, yeah. So other than visual cues, obviously you can kind of, the flower, you can imagine the flowers producing some sort of texture or hairs that make it look like it's got aphids. You said smell, there's a smell cue there. What do aphids smell like? Did you do uh, like analysis of the chemicals? Well, I haven't done yet the, the chemical analysis, but I certainly sense like a strong hearing scent mm. in the flowers. So they are producing something. I have to make the chemical analysis to compare with something that a feel like smell or something to right. prove that is that the sign that they are they are imitating. Uh, there are some studies that says that surfeit flies uh, can find. There are different ways that how they found the, these aphid colonies. Some of them search for bacteria. Wow. in the feces of the aphids so it's something very specific wow. they, are, they don't look at specifically for the aphids but for a bacteria growing in the feces of them hmm. or sometimes they smell pheromones in aphids mm, okay. like when they are trying to communicate with males and females or something like that huh. sexual pheromones or, and they can detect those signals 
I don't know what's happening with right, Fragment yeah. Game, so those are just speculations. So yeah, I have wow. still have to study that. So many new questions get opened up every time you yeah. find something new. It's amazing. So yeah. where where do these Fragmentpedium grow? What kind of habitats are we talking here? Well, here in Costa Rica, we have only two species of Fragmentpedium. Well, two reported species. There is the one that I study, Fragmentpedium longifolium, is the most common here of the two species. They love to grow on riversides so or when on cuts of the of roads, mm, road cuts, yeah. when they are trying to build a new road or something, uh, they cut the mountain and on the on the slopes of that mountain, they love to grow there. <laughs> where uh, like colonizing those sites and the sites of waterfalls and yeah. So this is a species that likes a bit more light than you would expect out of like deep forest floor sort of Yeah, it actually it kind of grows very well on disturbed areas. Okay. But colonizing, but after that when the vegetation starts to grow a lot on those parts, it kind of disappears because uh, they don't enjoy very well the shade of the trees, mm. so they need a little bit more of light. It's always this uh, strange dynamic, especially if you're not used to seeing orchids in the wild, you think of them as these pristine, untouched sort of specialists, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But this speaks to the fact that this disturbance and secession is what these species sometimes rely on, you know, whether that's human-made or of course, <laughs> natural. Of course. Yeah, well, um, natural disturbance is the, is the best because if, in fact, I don't know, if we have a mountain, like, sliding or something by natural mm. uh, conditions uh, strong rain or something they can colonize those sites better than if it's an artificial um, oh. intervention yeah because mainly because when it's an artificial intervention like like those road cuts uh, they get easier to see for other people like oh, no. that can collect them to wow so poaching yeah. is an issue yeah poaching is oh, an issue. that's so depressing and especially in an area with so much biodiversity and oftentimes small numbers of individuals yeah. that could just be wiped out by one or two greedy individuals. Exactly. Wow. So is, is the species you're working with threatened or is it doing okay in this in this country? Well, I think that uh, by the moment it's doing okay, but like both. It's mm. uh, Right now it's doing okay, but it's being also threatened. So yeah. um, it's important to make efforts to preserve sure. the, the populations. And a lot of that comes down to reproduction, right? So yeah. successful in understanding how exactly. these pollination events yeah. work. So one thing I'm realizing, and I'm really starting to appreciate, I've only done um, one pollination study in my entire mm -hmm. life, and it was very tedious, and it many mm -hmm. hours of sitting there. It, it's not easy work, no, correct? You have to be able to watch, and then just observing it isn't enough. You have to know, like you said, if it's the right one or mm -hmm. not, because obviously others will go in there. So, I mean, what's a typical day in the field like for you? Just lots of sitting and watching? <laughs> yeah, you have to have a lot of patience. Actually, for me, it was like super easy, just for the fact that you don't have to go to the canopy to make mm. the observations. I just, uh, I already have the plants at, the si at my site level, <laughs> and just like have a cup of coffee, have <laughs> a chair, your camera ready, yeah. and wait. Sit yeah. back and wait. Wow. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you gain a better appreciation. You're staring at this species for hours a day mm -hmm. and just waiting. And yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the visitations are not frequent, so you have to make a lot of observations until you get some data, but totally worth it. Like yeah. When you really understand what's happening and you can support what other researchers have previously said or 
all the other way like right, you know, yeah. found that they were they weren't right or anyway it's it's like really great to make a contribution to oh my gosh yeah it's got to feel so good yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you said you're moving on now to plurothalids which are these miniature orchids what what what's kind of on the horizon for you with that what are you thinking about well yeah and that was kind of simultaneously i have like oh maybe a year or more working on that uh, trying to to observe it's just mm -hmm. what i'm doing right now i just want to observe what's going on what are pollinating some of those flowers and after i have an idea i trying to get to answer some questions mm -hmm. probably i want to answer first What's the mechanism for some of the groups? What are Pleurotalis uh, mechanism versus Speclinia? How they evolve? Uh, how they differ? Why are some families of flies that are pollinating very different groups of Pleurotalis? And if that very specific or isn't? Or yeah. yeah. So there are so many questions. Yeah. And it's amazing because I think a lot of times we take pollination for granted and think, like, well, yeah, we know how this works. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, to even before you can get to that point where, like you said, you're asking questions, you have mm -hmm. to just observe it just yeah. to know exactly. who's coming, what they're doing. And how to direct your questions because uh, you can wonder so many things, but one that you have some observations in the field, you automatically answer some questions to yourself, so now you can focus on some other questions. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so exciting, though. I mean, do you enjoy it? Obviously, you must if you're <laughs> willing to sit and... Yeah, of course. It's, I always enjoy when I have seen an insect visiting an orchid that mm. I haven't seen before. And yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's kind of tedious because it's it's overwhelming. Actually, it's overwhelming because Pleurotalis is such a big group mm. and we know almost nothing. So sometimes it just feels like one more data on a huge database <laughs> and just yeah. a tiny point. <laughs> but everything adds to the database and sure. it's becoming bigger and bigger. So hopefully yeah. we can make something soon with that. Well, I mean, every building starts with one nail right exactly. or a brick and exactly. then you just build and build and build from there so I mean where do you hope to go with this obviously you've got a long career ahead of you and plenty of opportunities to ask questions and pursue I mean do you think you're going to stick with uh, pollination stuff or is this very much rooted in conservation where do you see it uh, probably I'm going to stick with pollination stuff but not just with pleurotalids I, I want to open to other groups of orchids because mm. uh, there are so many things still to to know that's what i'm here right now at the <laughs> symposium because i have never worked with orchid bees and it's a very fascinating system so i really want to learn mm. and see what uh what can i apply later to my research yeah and that's the great thing is you're getting so many different minds and different ways of exactly. doing things here. Yeah. yeah and i since i know nothing about orchid bees <laughs> i have learned a lot here so it's, yeah it's been wonderful yeah it's uh, i came in with very superficial knowledge and realized most of it was wrong so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great well if anyone listening would like to know more about your research or just what you're doing and, and what you're doing at lincoln botanical mm -hmm. garden how do you recommend they reach out or find you or, or just the botanical garden in general well i'm at ResearchGate. with there i put almost all of my papers okay. and i appeared there like melissa diaz hashed like hyphen hyphen <laughs> morales okay also at the lancaster webpage jardin punto Botanico Lancaster. Wonderful. And there is also another webpage, Epidendra, where we put all the papers of all the researchers. Oh, excellent. Of 
Yeah. So, so you have access. People can just go and yeah. Really they well, since we are oh, public university, mm -hmm. uh, we make all the papers and articles available oh, for wonderful. for the community. So good, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate it, and I wish you all the best. Thank in your you research. very much. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. All right, wasn't that fantastic? It was so great getting to meet her and actually get to talk to her in the rainforest. It was so much fun, and I learned so much from that relatively short conversation. As always, all of the relevant links for everything we discussed can be found in the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com. I made the podcast the homepage, which makes it even easier to learn more about each episode. But that is it for this week and really the year. I thank you all for listening. I thank you all for the support you've given the show in 2023. It continues to grow and really exceed any expectations I ever had for this podcast, so thank you again. I couldn't be doing it without you, the listener, and I hope you're getting a lot of really cool information out of it on the other side. But until next year, this is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.